Welcome to The Five Things. It's This Week in Social. Each week, we dig into five topics in social media and talk to you about them like we're sitting in the room with you, but totally not in a creepy way. We're on your friends list. We've got Tommy Boyce. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Joey. Amanda Davis is with us. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Joey. Hey, Tommy. I'm Joey Scarillo. Here are the five things. We've got plenty to say about avatars this week. First up, Amanda takes us to Meta, who introduced 3D avatars to their Instagram stories. Then Tommy tells us about TikTok's experiment with new video avatar tools and audio-only live streams. Then Amanda opens up Twitter to tell us about the new Toolbox Hub. Tommy hops on Instagram, who increased their response options in stories polls. And finally, Amanda launches Snapchat, who hosted a Bitmoji virtual concert. And I will let Amanda tell you who that concert was with. All right, let's tackle the five things. Amanda, tell us about Meta introducing 3D avatars to Instagram stories. All right, so Meta, Facebook's parent company, announced that they'll be adding 3D avatars to Instagram stories, Instagram DMs, as well as the Facebook Messenger app. And people can use these across um, their profile pictures on all the platforms. Think of your Facebook profile photo, your Quest profile photo, your Instagram profile photo. So as you can probably imagine, um, these look a little bit like what we would call Bitmojis um, or the emojis that are available on your text uh, toolkit but they can be personalized, obviously, to fit your face shape and your traits. And they're also including some inclusive features up front, like hearing aids and wheelchairs. So it's nice to know they're thinking about that as we start to figure out what we look like in the digital world. Um, they've also announced this under their like larger, broader strategy of creating experiences where, to your point up front, Joey, it feels like we're in the same room, even if we're across the world. And you can see they've previewed demos of how these avatars um, might look and operate in an immersive AR VR setting. But right now, the functionality for most people is going to be a little bit of that flat 2D version that you'll see in your iPhone text screen, in your Instagram photos, and, and other ways for you to react to content happening on the platform. I think what's interesting is we think about Bitmojis and we think about these new Facebook slash Instagram slash Quest avatars. And they're built on these 3D models. So the future of a virtual reality setting in which we feel like we're actually interacting with each other is not too hard to convert these identities into once we have the adoption from users and have the places where we'll actually leverage these avatars in a social setting. The last thing I'll say is they also announced the first piece of merch that will be available for these avatars, digital merch is the phrase that people are using, as you can imagine, physical digital um, and this is this first piece is actually in partnership with the Super Bowl. So users can wear a T-shirt with their favorite team on it, which is smart considering most people have these conversations around the Super Bowl on platforms like like Facebook and Instagram. So while, yes, they're working really hard to, to have people adopt these avatars and use them, the bigger story, especially for brands, is just this understanding of digital goods, understanding that people will purchase items that are specifically built for just your digital self. Um, and I think last year, users spent more than $100 billion on virtual goods in gaming platforms alone. So again, things that you can wear in a digital world that you might not even have a physical version of in real life. This is going to be a growing economy. We'll keep talking about it. Um, but I think for brands and marketers trying to understand, you know, where does your brand and vertical fit into that? And how can you um, understand that, that version of e-commerce? So we have a lot of avatars, right? You can make them in Wii games. You can make them in... On the Apple software, you got your Bitmojis, which we'll talk about. 
Are we to expect then that these avatars are just for Meta and the Facebook universe when you are using Meta's products? That's a good question, Joey. I can tell you a right now answer and a future uh, optimistic answer. So right now, yes. When we talk about the metaverse, one of the key pillars and tenets of that is called interoperability. So the idea of moving between metaverse platforms and you know what we call a metaverse platform. Right now, we think of gaming or social, but eventually these behaviors will all merge. But interoperability is really the goal of all of these platforms to be able to move through them the way that you would move through different neighborhoods or you would go from work to drinks. And you might do that in different places, but you can still wear the same thing. Or on the flip side of that, you can change your your clothes, your outfit, your look really easily in whatever location you want to be in. But that is likely, we don't quite have the the processing and the availability of, of data to get us there yet. So in the next probably five or 10 years, that's the, the roadmap for a lot of these platforms. Wow. All right, Tommy, let's switch over to TikTok. Keep talking about avatars. What are they doing over there on TikTok? Yes, there's a whole bunch of new developments from TikTok. First of all, tying back to the first story, TikTok's testing a new avatar feature that will allow users to create a digital character avatar based on a selfie with facial expressions that will match, you know, what you actually look like as a human person. The feature will enable users to choose a face template, which they can use to be able to edit an app. You can then further customize your avatar's expressions based on your actual face, providing new ways to share emotions and responses in the app. The avatar process looks similar to, you know, Apple's Memoji, which enables you to use your chosen character as a, essentially a digital like puppet or, you know, avatar with the capacity to make the character move in response to your actions when looking at the camera. In addition to avatars too, TikTok's also working on a new group chats option, a new process for screen sharing within live streams and creator subscriptions. And finally, I could say one of the pod's favorite phrases, TikTok is engaging potentially in clubhouse clonery and experimenting with audio-only live streams, tapping into clubhouse-style audio chats. So none of these features are live as of recording this, but it's interesting to see where TikTok's looking to develop and the tools that it's currently working on as an indicator of where it sees potential moving forward. But I think the avatar feature is really interesting when looking at it through, obviously, a metaverse lens, which you have to do for everything now. If TikTok can help you build characters that become part of your digital identity, maybe users will then you know, want to take these characters to other platforms, as Amanda was, was talking about earlier. And while the requirements for metaverse avatars are not established yet, and neither is the metaverse itself, obviously, um, I think TikTok's betting on by giving users more ways to build identity in its app, TikTok will be able to better align itself with the metaverse and with these trends. It also just helps users engage in new ways, which TikTok's obviously looking to encourage. Every app is looking to encourage that. So I'm excited to see which of these new developments, the live streaming, the audio, group chat rooms, and the avatars actually make it to launch. Yeah, a lot to unpack there, Tommy. I'm curious, um, you sort of dipped into this, but it, it almost feels to me, and I'm curious if you agree that to increase engagement on TikTok, right? Somebody who might not be, uh, who might not want to show their face, this gives them more options, right? So we've got the audio only clubhouse room. You've got these avatars that you could put over your face. Is that what they're hoping for or banking on there? That's a great point, actually. I think they are because TikTok, I mean, you look at Twitter, which usually famously is just copy based, unless you want to post your picture or profile picture. 
And Instagram, you could curate it in a way that you don't have to share your face, but TikTok, by virtue of it being a video, usually forward camera facing platform, it's always, you're showing your whole self. So I think using this feature, TikTok is trying to reach people who maybe don't want to put that, make that final leap and put their whole identity and their actual face online, you know, for fear of, you know, for a lot of reasons, it, it makes total sense not to want to share your face online. But I think it's kind of trying to bridge that final gap, not just in a metaverse sense, but as you said, trying to get people who aren't a part of the conversation, part of it in a way that feels safer for them. Yeah, it almost feels like the opposite of the feature that reads the text for you, where it like gives you the narration in that robot voice. Yeah, I don't know. This is sort of interesting. Amanda, what do you think of these new tools from TikTok? Yeah, I think it's it's more developments that we'll keep seeing. We have the banner of calling it metaverse technology now, but I, I do think regardless of, of whether that word was applied or not, it's all of these different applications of technology that, again, make us feel more connected, make us feel like we're more intuitively and naturally having either a conversation or an interaction or a debate or an explanation of something in places that maybe felt one or two dimensional, like copy based or video based technology, understanding what's the next step of that, that makes us connect in a new way and feel like more natural doing it. Awesome. All right, let's jump over to Twitter, who launched a new toolbox hub. Amanda, why don't you tell us about that? All right. Twitter Toolbox has a nice ring to it. This is a new hub that they've announced, which overall is really intended to help maximize marketing and growth on the platform. This toolbox is really a hub of resources that are kind of categorized into three areas. There's expression tools, which you can imagine is... is things that you would use for creativity and, and content creation and management. There are safety tools which help regulate and moderate um, your channel as a brand or, or a marketer or an influencer. And then there are measurement tools, which of course are the more analytics and audience data-driven resources that they're providing. So while they offer this toolbox hub, it's kind of interesting. All of these, these programs that do all the things I just described are all third-party programs that Twitter has essentially compiled for recommended use on how to best leverage the platform and, and your content there. And I think that that was kind of surprising to a lot of users. You know, we talked, I think it was last week about Twitter making updates to their native product called TweetDeck, which helps people manage the content on the platform. And then for them to follow up with, you know, this this group of third party tools was was a bit surprising. Um, and some people, you know, are considering is this kind of a placeholder while Twitter develops tools. But I think, to me, this isn't shocking at all. Again, bringing everything back to Web3 and kind of the principles that we've been talking to. We spoke last week about decentralized social media. And what that can and should include is an exchange of resources an economy of trade ways to monetize, you know, that can be shared with everybody and understand what is that commerce version of that look like from creators and from brands. So we're used to kind of brands and influencers understanding how to monetize the platform. But this actually feels like a play more to developers and a lot of that backend technology. We're, we know this as content, we know this as tweets and creating, you know, videos and other things on the platform. But eventually, you know, we see Twitter's addition of NFT functionality of new crypto functionality and things like that. For this to be really exciting and the best possible experience for both the creators and the users, they're really going to benefit from a free market economy of these resources being created by third parties. How do they make things better? How do they share best practices? How do they offer something instead of Twitter trying to centrally own 
and advance that capability? How can they tap into this market of resources and tools, not as something that's opposed to the platform, but something that's helping people on the platform? So this isn't incredibly shocking knowing Twitter's investment in Web3 and what they see that future looking like. So I, I think for marketers, this is super exciting. This means that we're going to get to see more capable features, more functional tools. Things are going to continuously improve because of this free market version of tools that are available. Um, so we'll, we'll keep seeing this kind of breed innovation. Yeah, that's awesome. With this big uh, swath of tools in this toolbox, what, um, Tommy, do you think marketers can look forward to most? I think marketers can look forward to a lot. For me, I think it's the additional insights for audiences that come with this toolbox. I mean, I think Twitter, there's a unique space for brands on that platform to engage with audiences, not just in like a one-to-one community management sense, but also in a way of cultivating an identity that people come to. I think, you know, of, you know, of a Wendy's that really engages with its audience and have people like people come to Wendy's to be roasted. It's a unique way of using the platform. And I think these developments being able to build out additional tools, additional ways to make your own experience online that then brands and marketers can use on Twitter. I think it's just going to allow for even more interaction and customization that has a really seamless, organic feel to it. So that way, we talked about last week too, people like brands being on Twitter and they like interacting with them. It gives brands the chance to make the online experience even more of a collective and have people coming back, not just for you know product updates, but as a way to establish a sort of relationship with the brand. Yeah, you mentioned that Wendy's activation that they did where they roasted people. That was awesome. If, if you haven't seen it, seek it out because that was, that was a really, really cool way to engage with folks on the platform. All right, let's switch over to Instagram. Tommy, tell us about Instagram who increased response options in their stories polls. Yes, this is a, a little short and sweet one. Instagram has stealthily updated its poll sticker for Instagram stories which now enables users to add up to four responses for their poll options as opposed to two. So now you get double choices. In addition to this, users can now change the color of the poll sticker text. And that's kind of it. But both of these are small updates within the broader scheme, but could potentially provide you know value and utility in different ways. The new option for polling could be perfect for social media managers looking to generate you know, more engagement for stories with just simple one-tap response process of polls, providing you know, a thumb-stopping way to get users to interact, which can help maximize both response and reach. So this isn't really you know, like an earth-shaking story, but I think there's a lot of use for it. I think you can add you know, more content, more humor, more, again, more just responses to get users engaged with the story. And then the additional capability changing colors just means that Instagram is trying to allow for more creativity and the part of, I mean, not just brands, but also, you know, people who use the app. So I think this is just, you know, a small little update that goes, shows how Instagram is trying to maximize potential of stories, which you've seen before, how it's trying to, you know, increase stories capability, increase messaging. It really knows how that part of the experience is so integral to people on the app and is trying to help people take advantage of it. Have either of you seen any really great examples of brands engaging with this polls feature, Amanda? I actually, it's funny you ask that because what I was thinking as as you were talking, Tommy, is that like, I think this also 
um, shows how much this feature is being used and how much it's promoting engagement. I know that one of our brands inside of Gray AARP uses this a lot. And, you know, you see this very simple low barrier of entry. It's not asking someone to retweet something. It's not even really asking you to like something or kind of put something in your feed. It's really just asking you for a personalized interaction um, that's very simple for users to to tap into. And I think for Instagram to make the step to, to make updates to it likely means that across the board, they're seeing this as a really high engagement factor that is is kind of worth figuring out how it can work with your content. Okay, let's bring it in for thing number five. Amanda, tell us about Snapchat hosting a Bitmoji virtual concert. We're back to avatars. I'm waiting with so much anticipation. Who is the artist? All right, so first of all, Snapchat hosting a virtual Bitmoji concert is a sentence that if you said it to someone 10 years ago, they might have their mind blown. But now it makes total sense to us. This is a really fascinating one. This is uh, being planned to promote Jennifer Lopez's new rom-com, romantic comedy, called Marry Me. Um, I love a J-Lo rom-com. Shout out Made in Manhattan. This virtual event is being put on by Snapchat and it's actually available through a browser site, which is is unique, but it gives you a chance to log in with your Snap info. You can be seen in the crowd and interact with people that are experiencing it live the same way that you would a real life concert. And I think what's interesting about the execution and the experience is that the concert is actually promoting specific crowd actions that you can do. You can participate in the wave, for instance, or you can release doves during one of the more romantic ballads. There's different ways to interact with dance moves and things like that. So when you start to see these shared experiences where people are prompted to interact and are prompted to have a a more active experience in a digital space, that's where we'll see a lot more of the the more fun and engaging versions of these concerts online. So, you know, we're not new to virtual concerts. We have seen the Travis Scott and the Ariana Grande's and the Lil Nas X um, examples, but we'll we'll keep seeing those on all kinds of platforms. You know, we use the words metaverse platform, gaming platform, social platform. And previously, those were all like slightly different places. Um, But moving forward, these will become very similar and overlap in functionality and, and the kinds of experiences that we see there. So I think for brands thinking about hybrid events and completely digital events is incredibly important. Um, when you think of especially digital events against, you know, real life events, they're slightly more sustainable. There's no waste. There's no, in most cases, environmental impact. There is endless creative opportunities. You can have someone fly, you can have the band play in a cloud, whatever that expression of your kind of brand and and identity is and make that experience super engaging. And honestly, like they're safe, they're safer. Think about, you know, tragedies like Astroworld, really terrible examples of, of what can go wrong in real life events. And while there is still a lot to be achieved in a virtual setting as far as harassment and interaction and consent, they're still miles safer and more engaging and more accessible for users at home to experience. So if you're a brand and, you know, you are heavily invested in experiences in, in whatever way that may be, you really should um, start kind of looking and, and considering what version of a hybrid, you know, a real life and a digital event or a completely digital event might look like for you. So this is Snap dabbling into the metaverse. Do we think that we could see more events like this? And I guess my other question would be, would these events, do they always have to be promoting something? Do we think we'll get to a place where they're not promoting movies or not pr- promoting new album releases, but just just having these concerts like 
this is Taylor Swift's digital summer concert tour? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think of looking at this through the lens of accessibility, which is such an important conversation right now for great reasons. I think this might just be the way that artists, especially considering uh, COVID-19, which you have to talk about when you talk about concerts and live events, um, a lot of concerts right now are being canceled in the UK and Canada. Artists can't go or tour stadiums or arenas or whatever due to COVID restrictions. So I know that one of my favorite bands, Muna, just released a live stream show on YouTube for free just for their fans. I know a lot of people, they had shows in Canada people couldn't make. And I think that artists will look more to these engaging, safe, um, online concert experiences that fans enjoy and that gains good you know pr and headline for them as a way to really just tour and make music in the future it's not even going to be like a way to promote a new rom-com a natural organic extension of promoting art and just being an artist online especially as we go further in to the metaverse so i think this is definitely this will soon probably stop being a cute little oh j-lo is promoting a new movie headline as opposed to like oh you're gonna watch the new um dua lipa concert on Roblox next week, that sort of thing. So I think it's very exciting. And I think we'll definitely see more artists start to integrate this in their sort of just repertoire. Would a JLo concert get you to create a Bitmoji, Tommy? I don't know if a JLo concert would, but I did mention Dua Lipa and that would get me to create a Bitmoji for Snapchat. Amanda, do you have a Bitmoji? You know, I'm going to be honest. I tried to make one about a year ago and it was a team effort and all of us trying to get my features in the Bitmoji. And, you know, I'm a human person. So theoretically it's possible, but I couldn't get it to look like me. And so I think with advancements in, in kind of the way that these are being designed, I hope that it will be reflective of me and you'll be able to see my Bitmoji one day and and know and, and identify me in a crowd. Couldn't get it to capture your essence. My Bitmoji is actually... <laughs> <laughs> my TikTok uh, profile picture. Also just wanted to say that I think it's kind of funny that JLo, the singer of I'm Real, is doing a virtual meta concert. Anyway, that does it for us this week. We've got some big news coming up. This episode that you just listened to was our 99th episode of The Five Things. And so next week will be our 100th episode. We still have no idea what we're going to do, if we're going to do anything special, but it will be special because it's episode 100. All right. If you don't already, please be sure to follow us on Apple or Stitcher or Pocket Cast or CastBox, anywhere you get a podcast. Share this with a friend, a family member, a coworker. If you've got questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints, send them over to podcasts at gray.com. Again, I want to thank Tommy and Amanda for joining us and Danielle and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. Thank you. See you next week for our 100th episode. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.